We are in the midst of a glorious section of the New Testament. We've been looking at the superior, surpassing greatness of the New Covenant. Remember that? It's been several weeks we've uh, we've been on it, and actually we'll kind of continue with that, thinking about the fact that uh, what a privilege it is to be a part of that Old Covenant, I mean the New Covenant, that has replaced the Old Covenant. It uh, brought us to the close of the chapter 3 last week. We were on that one verse, chapter 18, chapter 3, verse 18. And it's extraordinary as it stresses that we are to look into the face of Christ. And as we look into the face of Christ, we have no veil over us like the Old Covenant did. And as we look, we see that we are transformed into the very image of Christ. As you look into that mirror, it's really the very glory of of God. Of course, we are mirrors too because we reflect that glory to each other, to the rest of the world. So that's where we left off. And and actually, as we move into chapter 4, verse 1, it's really a continuation of where we have been. It's, It's fully in the same context. So it just keeps on going. It doesn't need a chapter division, but it's helpful, isn't it? So uh, that's where we left off, and um, we're just going to try to keep from missing a beat here, as this verse here will emphasize the result of the strengthening that we have as we look at the benefits that we have just seen in the last several weeks, the benefits of the New Covenant. Uh, So through chapter 3, we've just seen some incredible things about the glorious New Covenant. Now, a key theme in here also is do not lose heart. And we'll explain that a little bit further, deeper. But there were plenty of reasons for Paul to be discouraged. As you keep going through chapter 4 and the rest of Corinthians, you will see there were a lot of reasons for Paul that he could have been discouraged. He could have quit because some did. Several did. What was it that kept him going through all the conflicts in life? What kept him from fainting and just stopping? Well, he knew what he possessed in Christ. He knew what he had written in chapter 3, for instance. That was uh, really inspired by the Holy Spirit. So instead of complaining, what he didn't have, he enjoyed and gave glory to God for what he did have. And of course, what he has... It's found in chapter 3 in the preceding verses. And we saw in chapter 3, verse 17 about the Holy Spirit. And because the Lord is the Spirit, there is liberty. Go right into that verse 18. And we see we're transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as from the Lord, the Spirit. The one who's transforming us right now, right this very moment, is, is the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. We must emphasize His great ministry that He does. That means He sanctifies us. Holy means sanctified. To be set apart. And that's what He's doing. He's working a work in us that's just supernatural. Just awesome, the work that He's doing. We may not see it, but the thing is, He's still doing what He does. And do you know that we are fulfilling the purpose of God as the Holy Spirit works inside of us, as He uses the Word of God on us, as He makes us like Christ. 
And that was the apex of the end of chapter 3 about looking into the glorious Jesus Christ and the reason that He redeemed us in the first place is that we would be like His Son. Isn't that incredible? To be like Christ. We won't be gods or little gods, but we'll be like Christ. And that is simply... I think it's glorious, isn't it? Isn't it encouraging to think of that? And so any time that you face any battles, some of you had some extreme ones. When that conflict comes along, you know that as you are in this journey, God's Holy Spirit is still there. And He's doing a work in doing that. So what we want to do is keep our focus on Christ. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Right? So we keep encouraging you to do that. Well, we have lives we live in this world. Sometimes it seems impossible certain things that we have to face. We struggle against. How do we survive? How do we keep going? We have external assaults coming us from all different angles and degrees. How do we survive the inward struggles? How about the inward disappointments that we have in our lives? How do you get to that triumphant summit at the very peak and stand there and say like Paul said in 2 Timothy, I have finished the course. I've kept the faith. I've finished the fight. I've kept the faith. How, how do we do that? How do we do that? How do we get there? Don't lose heart. How do you become content with all the weaknesses, insults, distresses, persecutions, difficulties, all of those things? It's just not one thing that we have in our lives. We may not be in persecution, but there are others who are going through physical things that are having the fights of their lives. And that's just as important because God has geared that into us. If He's a sovereign God, there's not one thing that's more important as we have a more important trial. Everybody has their different challenges that they face. So what do you hang on to? Well, you've got to have something outside yourself. Because just not what is here in my own self is going to do it. I've already proven that to myself hundreds of times. We have to be certain about the superiority of the new covenant. That's what he stressed. In chapter 3, that's what we've seen week after week after week, right? That's what we have to hang on. The superiority of this new covenant. It's the gospel. This is what we have to draw upon. This is our source. The gospel is our source. Preach it to yourself every day. Every day. Keep it ever before us. What else can help us? Well, let's go into 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and let's take a look at that because that's what he's continuing on with. Let's stand. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. 
But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame. Not walking in craftiness or adulterating the Word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Let's pray. Father, as we go into this text, a couple of little short verses that are rather impacting on our lives. It's following on the heels of the grand work that you are doing, what you have done, are doing, and will do. And in the meantime, here we are. How do we survive all this? Thank you, Lord, for giving us the glorious answers. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So we're in Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul is really emphasizing his ministry here. He challenges the Corinthians to think about it. All through the first three chapters, he keeps having to defend his apostleship, his ministry. False teachers are there. They're always there. They're always with the church. They come inside the church. It says he's having to battle these guys who were blasting away at him. And what Paul really brought was the truth of the gospel, the glorious gospel of the new covenant. They're bringing in all sorts of things and Judaism and mysticism, who knows what all the different things that they have, the philosophies of the world, and putting it together with the gospel, and you cannot do that. That's the exact same thing that's going on, and it tricks people. It deceives people. And they begin to follow the Word, plus all the other things they hear about and see and do. It's all over the Internet. We have it, I think, more challenging today than they did. Because false teaching is not only in the churches, outside the churches. It's right in our homes as we turn on some kind of uh, Internet that has all sorts of stuff. It can have great stuff and it can have terrible, horrible stuff. But out in the mainstream of evangelicalism today is something that is so sad that has happened. People are not content with the straight truth of the gospel. It's boring. So therefore, we have to have other stuff. Let's have stars coming down from the ceiling and smoke and, and you know, all sorts of neat, cool stuff that you see like at concerts. Let's do that in church. And let's... Let's do things that will bring people in. Paul says, Hey, all I preach is the gospel. I can only give you Jesus Christ crucified. That's what he was about. That's what he's saying here. We have a glorious gospel. What else do we need? So he says, therefore. When he says, therefore, there's a reason, right? Because of what we have just seen in the last several weeks, just the last few verses actually this points back to the section from 6 through 18 about the new covenant and this is our strength this is the source of our strength the new covenant the gospel it's Jesus Christ at the heart of it so he is really going to as he's emphasized looking at the source of this strength we can get a lot of things here to edify us. Even though it's Paul, 
you know, it's Paul defending his ministry. He says, since we have this ministry. Now, who's the we? Well, could be other apostles. Could be other people who were doing ministry with him. And that could be right. And it could even be us. And it is. All of above work here. In the straight context, I think knowing the character of Paul, he's mainly doing a humble way of saying, me. There are other people that deal with the ministry that he's doing there in Corinth everywhere else. But I think he's softening the very personal nature here of his defense of his ministry. So he says we. And that's a good thing to include other people. Sometimes we could say I, 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 I. People get turned off of that real quick. If I came up here and gave you my stories and I did this and did that, I know for a fact it would turn you guys off. And it should. Because it's not about me. That's what I hear in a lot of messages today that are coming from people who are not giving the counsel of God. What else do they have to talk about? Talk about themselves. This story and that story and go back to when they were teenagers and in their 20s and 30s. You can use an illustration here and there. But some people constantly harp on this because people relate to that. But that's what Paul's doing here. And he says... Since we have this ministry, and the word is diakonon, diakonos, deacon, to serve, to be a steward, this ministry that he's doing. We all have ministries. If you're a Christian, you have a ministry. You serve. We serve God. So we can we can uh, respond to that. But as a steward, one is held responsible for what God has given us. As stewards of God, stewards of Christ, it means I've got to take care of what He has given me to do and to do that rightly. Now, this is a New Covenant Gospel ministry. Just described in the previous chapter, which deals with life, it deals with salvation, it deals with righteousness. A ministry that, not only that, but transforms lives. It's, for all that you who are believers, what does it do? It changes you. There's a metamorphosis going on. That's powerful. To have something going on, you believe it, but you don't see it outwardly. But inwardly you know. You have a hunger for God's Word. You're growing in that. And then you grow to another level and to another level. That's what he said in verse 18. We have this kind of ministry to take to people. That they too can see this. To transform lives. Let's go back to chapter 2. Verse 14. Remember this. This is triumph in Christ. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us. Here we go. After studying this back a few weeks ago, it should help. You manifest, Christ manifests through us the sweet aroma. What's the sweet aroma? Of the knowledge of Him. Knowing God. Is there anything more important? How can you be like Christ if you don't know God? The knowledge of Christ. That's how you become like Christ. And it means not just an intellectual knowledge. 
experiential knowledge. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God. A fragrance of Christ. Among those who are being saved, it's sweet fragrance. When you see God's people, isn't it? And among those who are perishing, it's a fragrance there too. And in the political realm, you can certainly see that there are a lot of people that hate our stench. It's a stench to them. As we desire to live godly lives. And I heard that Hillary just a few days ago in her speech has these different kind of bags. There was a specific word she used. Does anybody know what word? Deplorable. She's talking about us. We are deplorable. They need to eventually get rid of the deplorable. And she had to apologize for that. She was caught. And then she, she said half the people. And she said, well, I apologize. I, I didn't really mean half. <laughs> what does that mean? Now I bring this up and say, Dennis, now you're in the politics. I'm just saying that there are a lot of people, at least half, <laughs> who think of Christians as deplorable. I, you know, yeah, she said that. Maybe other people don't think that. But that's the reason why they take offense when we say something against something so simple like there are female and male. Something simple. Speaking about bathrooms, that whole issue, I don't even want to get into that. That's amazing how far this has gone. And it's because we have values based upon this. And they want to get rid of all those standards of righteousness. And anybody that has it, we are a hindrance to them. And if she is voted as president, she will be getting rid of the stench. And so it says to the one, an aroma from death to death. To the other, an aroma from life to life. Christians understand it. The non-Christians don't. Who's adequate for these things? Who is adequate to bring forth these truths? None of us are. Except when we have Christ, we now have been made adequate to minister this truth. Chapter 3, verse 6. Speaking of this, great new covenant who also made us adequate as servants or ministers diakona same word of a new covenant not of the letter but of the spirit for the letter kills but the spirit gives life chapter 3 verse 8 how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory. Old Covenant, New Covenant. Old Covenant, add glory. New Covenant, superior over that glory. How much more is this ministry of the Spirit? How much more glorious is it? Verse 9. For if the ministry of condemnation... 
And that's what the old covenant, the law does. It condemns. It does its job. It comes in and condemns. It kills us. Shows everyone that they can't follow God's rules. They need help. They need the person of Christ. They need the Holy Spirit. They need His Word. For the ministry condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. It just exceeds. It It just flies over Mount Sinai and goes straight on up to heaven. Glorious Nicholas. Chapter 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The Holy Spirit now resides in us, sets us free from the bondage of sin and death and the ways of man. The most noble, the most glorious truth was given to Paul to preach and he knew it. There is nothing more important than the Gospel. Nothing. Everything else takes a back seat. Matter of fact, it's blown out of the back seat and it's way back hundreds of thousands of miles away now. The Gospel. It's the highest calling on earth. There's no more high calling than to be able to minister the Word of God. The great news from God concerning salvation. It's the good news of the gospel of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ as we look at Him face to face. It dwarfs all other duties. I can say what a high, high, glorious privilege it is to be able to read the Word of God and then to talk about it. You do the same thing when you read the Word and you go and share it with somebody. Can you think of any higher thing that you can talk about? (laughs) Everything else falls. It's a staggering honor to preach the Gospel. You know what? Whatever the price might be because of the Gospel, and it's a high price to pay because you give your whole self. Forget yourself. Take up the cross. Follow me. Christ said. Whatever the price might be, and it means to surrender yourself totally to to the Lord. The price is not nearly high enough to buy Paul out. He could have been. No way. Even his life. Would it cost him his life? Yeah. The price wasn't high enough. Could have ran could have saved his life. Next word is a key word. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we received mercy, do you get it? We received mercy. Starts salvation. How do you get to be a Christian? Did you earn it? Did you achieve it? Of course not. It was mercy. God has pity upon certain people because they're poor, wretched sinners. It's a staggering reality to realize that. And then you see that He gives these salvation, and not only salvation, but ministries to sinners who've been redeemed. It's a mercy. I think that's what Paul is saying here. Not only mercy for salvation, but mercy for this ministry that He has. It it is not because of anything that we are 
or anything we have done. And Paul fully knows that. He's a man of great knowledge before he was a Christian. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 through 13. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me, and that's a key word we're going to be looking for, because He considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though, He says, but, I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet, I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. Paul always was reminded of what he had done before even as much as he knew about God's Torah, the law, the Old Testament, the prophets. Knew it all. And then he says, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent aggressor. But yet I was shown mercy. I was despicable. I was what? Deplorable. There are the deplorable people. We once were. But now we have been made new. And Christ reconciling us. All things are new. Wow, the mercy of God. Philippians chapter 2, verse 27. Mercy. The mercy of God. People talk about it all the time. What, what is that? 2.25 But I thought it necessary to send to you... It's verse 27. I think that's where it starts. I want to move on to 27. For indeed he was sick. This is Epaphroditus, okay? For indeed he was sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him. Not on him only, but also on me. So I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. He has mercy to his own people even after they're Christians. Epaphroditus was sick. He almost died. All the way to the point of death. Paul was really concerned. That's a terrible condition. A fellow worker, a brother, a fellow soldier. He was sick. Point of death. God pitied him. God does His work out of that. My life, your life, as you serve the Lord... As you give glory to God, even in the smallest things, washing the dishes, or maybe not washing them, just putting them in the dishwasher, cleaning the floors, doing the things around the house. Did you know you're serving Him? That's what's my house. I just need to keep it clean. That gives Him glory. Take a drink of water. You've just given Him glory because you realize that water came from Him. Eat food. I mean, it's always constantly all day long, isn't it? He has mercy on us. We don't deserve it. He doesn't give us what we deserve. That's an idea of mercy. Actually, what we deserve is what? Judgment. And He withholds the judgment. 
You know, it's mercy to be given strength physically, mentally, spiritually. It's mercy to give us health that we have. Even in health that's being challenged, still is mercy. Everything in my life is mercy. The wife that he's given me is mercy. The children that he's given me is a mercy. It's a gift of, of grace. The friends that he has given me is a gift of mercy. Brothers and sisters in Christ who I get to worship together is a mercy to me. It's all a mercy. My church is a mercy. Everything that I do. My job is a mercy. What do I deserve? Nothing. Matter of fact, I deserve hell. New covenant mystery is a mercy. We're proclaiming the mercy of God. Here's where you're at. Here is the mercy of God that I offer to you through this gospel. We're worthless. We are unworthy. But God has mercy. Wow. Man, you know what I've just said in the last couple of sentences? If I said that in most churches today, I kid you not, this is what I'm hearing. They would have me out. They'd probably be hanging me. They'd be kicking me out. People can't handle that. They'd have a meeting with the deacons or the elders. And they'd say, that's a little bit too strong. They hear it a week after week. They'll have you out of there. Thanks to God that you guys haven't kicked me out yet. You guys wouldn't do that, would you? We're preaching the gospel. One has to understand their sinfulness before the Lord God. One has to come to understand that they've been forgiven. The greatest motive for faithfulness is the fact that we've been forgiven been given mercy. Does that want to make us serve God? Helmut Felix said this, I will bold to say that even the most orthodox churchman will not enter the kingdom of heaven unless he is continually surprised that mercy has been shown to him. You like that? Isn't that beautiful? Continually Amazed at the mercy that God shows you. God shows me. That's marvelous. Now, go back to our Corinthians at the end of verse 1. We receive mercy. We do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Ek kakeo. And we'll get into that word. First thing that you think of, there are two ways we could go on this. And we're going to do both because I think they both can apply. And as I have, I'm, I'm having cord problems today. I, I got big feet to start with, and I was afraid that I knocked Alan's teeth out whenever I kicked over the cords earlier. I felt like an idiot. Uh, God had mercy on me. Alan had mercy on me. He just. You know, Thank you. <laughs> Keeps me humble. <laughs> okay, when you think of this word, uh, we don't lose heart. The first thing we think about, and it's okay, and it is meant to be there. It means to be tired, getting weary, 
getting burned out, getting discouraged. And that certainly is the meaning here to start with. (laughs) There's a lot more to it. There's a compound beginning to this. Ek. K-O. This word can mean to give in to fear. To lose courage. To be a coward. To stop. Quit. There's a second meaning to this. and This is where your expositors either will have disagreements or they say both. Because... The Greek word could go either way. And so that's why I say it. And it it, it doesn't matter. They both fit. So that's why I can say, a lot of times I don't like to give, okay, here's what this guy says, here's what you guys choose for yourself. I think in this case, both work. But let's get some more depth of this word. Because it has a compound, it's a compound word. It intensifies. This root here, that is there also is going to make us look at malice wickedness depravity corruption morally bad the adverb form of that root means to be wretched to be wrongly criminal did you get the idea? bad depraved so it's not just talking about something simple as getting tired and weary and that that is true and we need to be strengthened from that constantly don't we we get tired and worn down of our everyday living and certain things come up against us in a heavy way do you know what Paul has already been there we do not lose heart I am not morally bad. I'm not depraved. I'm not maligned. I'm not wicked. I'm not wrongfully being a criminal here and delivering the gospel. Because what is the enemy, the false teacher, saying? That he is wrong. They need to get rid of him. They're maligning his character. And he says... We don't lose heart. I don't quit. I'm not, I'm not going to get worried. I'm not going to get discouraged. And even more, he's saying, I'm not going to let that deplorable kind of life that they say, I'm not going to let it get to me. I'm not going to do morally evil things. I'm not going to give in to evil There is really where he is at. I don't lose heart. I'm not going to give in to evil. A cowardly defection. Kittle, which is probably the supreme, the maximum level of lexography. There are a lot of Greek dictionaries and such. Kittle's is a massive work. Volumes that are each one this thick on the Greek New Testament. Comes boils down to this. To act badly. We don't act badly. It's a sinful. It's a defecting. I'll not give in to immorality. I'll not give in to discouragement. 
I will not do that. Anything that can divert me from preaching this truth, I will not do that. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. It's right after 2 Corinthians. So you'll find that rather easily. Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we'll reap if we don't grow weary. There's the idea. Don't give up. Don't go into things that you had done before in your past life. Say this Christianity. What's a use? You just start getting back into what he used to do. Ephesians, very next book. That'll be easy to find. Chapter 3, verse 13. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. The tribulation that he went through, and it went to the point of almost death, persecution, the imprisonments, the beatings that he had. And he'll get to that later on in our Second Corinthians. They're for your glory. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't start acting badly because of this. Christian life brings all this stuff on. He says that's part of the deal. That's the package. How do you respond to it? His trials in Asia had almost brought him to despair. We're talking about the great Apostle Paul. Second Corinthians 1. We already have talked about this. Verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren. We want you to know about this. Of our affliction. Philipsis. It means to be pressed down upon. Deep tribulation. Which came to us in Asia. What happened? We were burdened excessively. Beyond our strength. Beyond beyond physical and mental strength. So that we despaired even of life. Paul had come to despair. He thought he was a dead man. He thought this was it. Got news for him. It wasn't. He had much more to go. He says, you know, how can you lose heart? How can you go into doing wickedness or to cowardly get away, give in to evil? He's involved in a glorious ministry. Would, have, would God have entrusted this glorious, precious treasury of a ministry to Paul that he might fail? Would that happen? Would God do that? No way. Meganatah. That can't happen. God will not give you something and then, boom, make you fail. That will not ever happen. With a divine calling comes a divine enabling, an enabling. And he knew that God would see him through. Is that pretty good motivation to keep on going? Don't give up on the Christian faith. We've seen it happen. We've seen it over when I say we, all of you probably have seen it. You've seen people walk away. I'm not talking about just changing churches. I'm talking about walking away. The cost. They saw the cost. They knew the cost. 
They knew full well what the cost. They read the Bible. They even went out and witnessed to people. But then the cost became too much. And they quit. Paul says, I don't lose heart. It's a treasure. It bestows life. It bestows spirit. Freedom from the law. It gives righteousness. Not an earned righteousness. It gives us righteousness. To abandon. To cowardly surrender. Paul did sin and he knew that. He was still sinning. He was always aware that he was a chief of sinners. Remember that? I'm the chief of sinners. But that's why he always emphasized pure grace. He knows about the grace. He knows about the new covenant. Listen, the basis of our courage is not the appreciation of man. Where people will come up and tell you how great of a Christian you are. It's nice to have encouragement, but it wasn't the success of his efforts. It's not the size of one's church. It's not a pain-free life. He knew about the privilege of looking into the face of Jesus Christ and seeing the blazing glory of God That's what he's basing everything on. The basis of his courage was a fresh vision of mercy. This vision I'm talking about is looking into the Word of God and peering into the person of Christ. Or you can see something absolutely that is true. We see his mercy. We read um, this morning the statement that is our belief of who God is. Talked about Him being almighty, infinite, most holy, most wise, most free, most absolute. This is the character of God, isn't it? His righteous will for His own glory. He's merciful. He's long-suffering. He's abundant in goodness. He's got a truth. He forgives sin. All of those things. That's looking into the face of Christ right there. Think about the attributes of God. You say, how can I see the face of Christ? I want to see Him visibly. Well, so do I. That's not going to happen. He hasn't come back yet. If somebody sees the face of Jesus Christ and somebody says, I saw Him in the face of a burrito once. (laughs) Oh, folks. And you know what? People slack to that. They went to this poor lady's house and started lining up and they wanted to see the burrito. I kid you not. This is absolute foolishness. People are going after the outward things. Don't get caught up. And that's exactly where Paul is heading here in 2 Corinthians. He wasn't that kind of a preacher. He didn't have a flair for the dramatic. He just preached the Word. People say, well, I don't, I don't, I don't see anything. I, I don't, I'm not experiencing anything, you know. I don't feel it. That's not what we come to do when we come here. We come here to worship God. We worship not because of our feelings. The feelings should come there, but they should be because of truth 
And it's based upon the truth that is declared. The Word of God is spoken here. It's sang here. It's prayed here. It's communed over here. We give our money. That's all a part of worship. And the basis is the very truth of God. When we get into this, it's not little desserts that we're after. It's not toys, playthings. The blazing glory of God is found in these truths. And we, why can't somebody read this and then get a feeling off of it after you have just read it? It doesn't matter what things are going on when you start thinking about God as spirit he's invisible he is immortal think of those things think of who God is that's knowing God then you will have the glory of God that you just experienced because of the face you just looked at Christ who reveals his glory People don't want that kind of message because there's nothing happening in that. Getting rather indignant about what is happening in the evangelical realm. And that's a shame. They're just destroying the idea of what evangelicalism is. Incredible what is happening. We go into the pure ministry now in verse 2. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame. Not walking in craftiness or adulterating the Word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So we go to verse 2. With all this set up before us, when you look at Christ, when you look at His earthly life, what do you think of? His life and His ministry. Right? What about Paul? What was, he, what was he about? We look at his life and his ministry. Here's what he said. But did he do it? Right? Yes, he did. Here's what Jesus said. He proclaimed it. Here's what he did. He did it. Perfectly righteous. Paul wasn't perfectly righteous. He's just like us. Still in, in, in the flesh, in, in the skin, in the body. Perceptible to those kind of things but um, Paul's Christian life was a life of purity he pursued holiness when he saw the glory of God purely revealed in the face of Jesus Christ it was a vision of holiness the kind of vision that Jonathan Edwards spoke of so much the vision of Christ of the glory of God found in his truth a vision of righteousness a vision of virtue a vision of purity. This is how you learn who Christ is is by getting into this. Renounce the hidden things. Renounce the secret life. Paul says, we have renounced the things hidden. Things in his past. We don't lose heart. We don't fall into sin. We renounce the things We don't fall into moral iniquity. We don't defect. We don't cultivate sin on the inside. 
no matter how great the temptations are, we have renounced those things that are hidden. Things that are hidden deep in the recesses. We shouldn't have those hidden things. Paul said, I renounced them. Secret sins that can eat at character. They were saying Paul had secret sins. Very possibly. I think reading and knowing the context of where we've been and where we're going, they're claiming all sorts of things about Paul. Has to defend, defend the gospel. Uh, this idea of renouncing means to turn away from. Same thought of kind of like what repent is. There's a turning from sin, a devoting of one's life t- towards the very pursuit of holiness and godliness. He's confessing that there's a reality and I renounce it. I turn away. I've turned away from that. Hidden. We have renounced the things hidden because of shame. Shame is iskene. It means ugly. It means shameful. We turn away from the shameful things, the ugly things, the disgraceful things, the secret immoralities. We turned away from that. That's what Paul is saying. We have renounced the things hidden. They're shameful. They're disgraceful. They're trying to destroy his character, his reputation amongst the Corinthians. And if you can tell lies about people and say, hey, this man has secret past. He has secrets in there. He's a sinful man. There's a lot of wickedness in this man. He was a murderer. He's a persecutor. He still is. You ought to hear some of the things that he does. He walks in deceit. He's a vain deceiver. He's a crafty fellow. They want to destroy the confidence that the Corinthians have in Paul who's given them the word of truth. He says, not walking in craftiness or adultery. And by the way, that word craftiness is panergia. It means trickery. It means deceit. To be shrewd, scrupulous, no scruples in it. Unscrupulous. He didn't adulterate the Word of God. He didn't feel um, the plague of sin just hanging on him. Yeah, he, he's still human, like we say. But it was not something shameful hidden there that he kept doing. And sin can keep pre- creeping back into our lives, or temptation can, through the flesh. It does, doesn't it? And what we need to do, and here is our hope, daily look into the pure face of Jesus Christ and His glory. Look at those attributes when you are being tempted. Go to the Word of God. Go to prayer. Those kind of things, and going to fellowship, to worship God's people. Shun those things. Send them racing back out of here. Trickery, deceit. Luke 20, verse 23. <coughs> 
Jesus is asked a question. It's a question the Herodians brought to him. All they want to do is trick him and make a fool out of him. Can you imagine? A little old man trying to make a fool out of God. Boy, it happens all the time, doesn't it? Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not then? But he detected their trickery. That's where he goes on. Show me your denarius. Trickery there is deceit. Trickery, deceit. Panergia. That's that's the word there. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Oh, you'll be familiar with this one too. Chapter 11, verse 3. Same book that we're studying, 2 Corinthians. Later on, he'll say this, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ, looking into the face of Christ. Satan can deceive. He is the deceiver. He knows how to do it quite well. He did it to man. And man is paying for it still today. Starting with Eve, Adam. Craftiness. Trickery. Deceit. Ephesians 4.14 As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Oh boy, whenever I first started learning the truth of God, I was looking at everything, everything on TV, anything I could get my hands on. I was reading Mormon, Jehovah's Witnesses were coming to our house. And I was inviting them in and letting them show their little books, little colored comic type books, because they don't want to get too deep. They want to explain to you. And it's funny how God protected me. A lot of other stuff was coming down the line. There were other cults and TV, very much like that. Oh, I, I claimed it all. It's all. It's Christian, you know. I was really hungry. I can speak for Carolyn too. We were. We we couldn't get enough. There really wasn't Christian radio, and it was just starting about that time. You could say. I just wanted everything and then people certain people that God brought into my life and started challenging me some of the uh, things that are out there some of the false teachers that I was grabbing a hold of claimed to be Christians Panergia, trickery, deceit someone can do anything to achieve their goals they have no scruples they're shrewd are unscrupulous. Paul, he never deceived anybody. Everything was up front, out of the corners, for all to see. Jesus, same way. Everything is to be seen. Brought forth. You can say that Paul was a plain preacher. Very clear, straightforward. Part of the reason that Paul was attacked was because of that. Because he preached the gospel. 
week after week after week if he was there. In Corinth, he was there for quite some time, wasn't he? He was so plain. That's what they, they were making fun of Paul because he didn't, he didn't bring on the gimmicks. He held nothing back. There weren't any secrets. They didn't like that. They wanted him to be subtle. Very plain preachers who preach the truth can be very offensive because the Word of God offends us. Tells us that we're sinners and we're wicked and we're evil. And we have nothing in ourselves to get to heaven only through Christ. Plain preacher, that's what he preached about. Christ crucified. Preaching had to be fashionable. Had to show the contemporary Gentiles some secret knowledge uh, that they would bring forth. Gnosticism in its early stages was coming in. It would later, in a bigger way. The approach has to be appealing. And let's don't emphasize plain doctrine. Matter of fact, let's don't do doctrine. Wait, what are you talking about? Don't talk about repentance. Don't, don't do that. Don't talk about sin. Don't ever say that word. Don't talk about judgment. Don't talk about hell. And above all, don't talk about the cross. People, they are out there and they are right in our town. And many of you, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's so deceptive. So trickery. So cunning. And they can say all the right words. He wasn't adulterating the Word of God. That's what the word... The phrase there says, not adulterating the Word of God. Dala'a. It means to tamper with. It means to dilute. To dilute. The false apostles were adulterating the Word of God. He says, I don't do that. Back in chapter 2 of Corinthians, verse 17. Chapter 2, verse 17. But we are not like many peddling the Word of God, but as from sincerity. But as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. Now, in that's chapter 2. In chapter 4, at the, at the end of verse 2, he talks about in the sight of God. He knows that he's accountable to God. And to God alone when it finally boils down to it. All those people bringing on that craftiness and that deceit, all the trickery that they're doing, or maybe just not preaching the strong truths and doctrines of the Bible. They will be held accountable for what they don't bring or do bring. Called them hucksters there in our chapter 2. They're con men. They're cheating people. They're cheating people of truth. They're cheating some people of heaven. They're charlatans. They are frauds. Martin Luther saw a charlatan when he saw him. There's Governor Tetzel was selling indulgences to the people that they could get out of purgatory. People were paying money because they can get their relatives out of there. And he went around collecting that for the church. That's what started Luther. 
into really considering there's something wrong here. Didn't know he was starting a Reformation. Had no clue. God used that incredibly. Hucksters back then. Making money profit off the Gospel. That's their motive. To water down the truth. So Paul's saying, hey, I don't water down the truth. I give it to you straight. I don't dilute it with human philosophy. I just proclaim the unadulterated, unmixed, simple truth of the Gospel. There are teachers that people will hire because they have itching ears. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. says, Paul, I'm not interested in tampering with the Gospel. The uncluttered truth of grace. The new covenant of Jesus Christ. His person, His work. The truth is going to do its work. Everyone here can attest to that truth that does its work. Do we have any people adulterating the Word of God today? Do you guys think we have some? Go on TV. Very few are very good. There are some. I'll name you some. And you say, Dennis, you shouldn't do that. Well, Paul had to do that because he wanted to take care of his flock, people he wrote to. A shepherd is not a shepherd if he doesn't warn the people. And people always say, well, you know, just say that there's false teachers out there. Excuse me, how are some people going to know? I'm not going to have them go through some of the things that I did whenever I know full well what's happening out there. Very full well. I had something like 28 years of being in a store, seeing people come in and having mixed truth with all sorts of errors. It saddened me. There was uh, good news in that. Uh, there were several people who actually got to deal with to steer them to truth. That's glory to God. No glory to me. I'm going to name some. And if you get offended, uh, I don't mean to offend you. These people are offensive to the Word of God, though. And they tear it up. And if it, if it does raise some questions, please come to me. Don't run away. Come to me and say, well, what about this person? Todd Bentley, Mike Bickle, Richard Bonke, Rodney Howard Brown, Juanita Bynum, Kim Clement, Creflo Dollar, Stephen Furtick, one of the biggest guys out there on the Internet today, John Hagee, Larry Hutch, Bill Johnson, Rick Joyner, Patricia King, Eddie Long, Beth Moore, Mike Murdoch, Rod Parsley, Joseph Prince, Rick Warren, Paula White, Andrew Womack, Ed Young Jr., his father, pastor of a great Baptist church in Houston, one time Ed Young, one of the first guys that I learned what preaching supposed to be. I mean, that, that was at least some simple things that I found out. Sarah Young, uh, let's also, let's name uh, another one, uh, a son of Charles Stanley, Andy Stanley. So said, what, what about him? He said some really good things. Hmm, could be, yeah. I think he started out pretty good at one time, but um, he doesn't even think highly of saying the word pastor 
we really shouldn't be pastors. We are to be CEOs, facilitators. There's no room for that word today. It was back 2,000 years ago, but not now. That's some of the things that he's saying. Shepherd. Shepherd? Yeah. So in other words, and, and that is the exact, he said there's no such thing as shepherds, right? And what he's saying, and the word comes from poimen. Thank you for saying that. Poimen is shepherd in the New Testament, which is also translated pastor. Benny Hinn, we know about him. The nine gods theory. Joyce Meyer, that... uh, Oh, there's so many things there that she's got that's absolutely false. Say, Dennis, what are they? I'll let you know. Joel Osteen. Kenneth Copeland, Marilyn Hickey, Paul Crouch, Frederick Price, Todd Kuntz, Robert Tilton. Health, wealth, gospel. Dramatic. It's showy. Things happen. People fall on the floor. Get stuck to the floor. The manifested God's theory. We're all Christ. I remember the time that I saw Kenneth Copeland. I actually saw it on TV coming out of his mouth. We are, you know, we were saying we are to be like Christ. He takes it to the point: we are gods. Most of your health, wealth, gospel people today will not disagree with that, and most of them preach it. And so does Joyce Meyer. We are gods, and they're they're saying that we are equal to God. Anything that Jesus did, we can do too. We're in Scripture. We should never suffer. I wish that to be true. All I have to do is look. Say, well, you don't have enough faith. That's what they say. The blasphemy that comes out of that. That is not biblical. We look at these Scriptures all the time. It's God's will that we suffer, it says in Peter. Other passages. I'm going to just write the health, wealth, dramatic shows that they give, manifesting gods. And then you have Bethel Church, Hillsong, which some really good praise songs there. I still wouldn't mind doing them. If they are lifting God up, the thing is, look where it has gone. I hate to even associate with such evangelicalism of our day. People that are really popular, they're selling CDs and selling their music like crazy. Carrie Job, part of Bethel Church. Paul says we have to have a truth ministry. I'm I'm attacking a lot of things. This comes over the internet here. Could get some people really mad. But we have to to look at this and, and apply this too. This is application. What if they're not manifesting truth? You can say, well, I hadn't thought about that. It sounds really good. Where did that come from in Scripture? Challenge it. Challenge me. Definitely challenge me. If I'm not coming with something that's... If it's not out of Scripture, it's absolutely worthless. It has to be backed up by this. Committed to truth. Two notions in churches today. We're not going to give ourselves to preaching because we have decided it really doesn't do much good. That is in the church big today. It doesn't do much good. 
Secondly, we're not going to give ourselves to preaching. We've decided that people don't listen to preaching anymore. It doesn't do any good. People don't listen to it anyway. That's called psychology. Alistair Begg said he got this from the psychological Christian aspect and said this, monodirectional speaking, preaching from the pulpit, reinforces beliefs and convictions already held, but they very rarely affect change in the opinions of people. It doesn't change them. God decided to use preaching as His means It's a strange way to preach the gospel. He sends men out to proclaim it, to communicate His universal truth. It's a strange mechanism used by God to reach souls of men and women. It's unique because God purposed to do it. It's in a way that He does not do in drama. It's in a way that He does not even do in art, even though those are fantastic things. And you can put it in, in a sense, But that's not the chief way you present the gospel. And even music, which we value so highly here, it's still not the chief way that God gets the gospel out. But He uses it. But the chief way is preaching. It's a strange thing. So here's the thinking of our time from the younger people. 20s, 30s, and 40s on up. This is what they're preaching. There are salesmen and there are consumers The job of salesmen is to overcome and convict the consumer resistance and get them to accept the product. That is what Andy Stanley is doing. That is what Ed Young Jr. is doing. That is what the popular acceptable people are who are not teaching absolute false things that are very detectable. But it's a salesman trying to sell things. You know what? We can't overcome consumer resistance at any time. It's the Word of God. It's the Spirit of God that convicts and saves. It's the clear message. And speaking about Shepherd while I go, I just throw this in. Alistair Begg said this, and I thought it was so good. I'm a shepherd here, right? Shepherds are to bring the sheep to go feed. Now think about it. Shepherds are the sheep shepherds don't feed the sheep. We don't spoon feed you. Here's what happens. Sheep are led to pastures to feed themselves. They're not spoon fed by the pastor. That's why I keep challenging everybody. Read your Word daily. Study it. Pastors are to lead the people to the Word of God to get them ruminating. And as we have a Word of God preached here, then it would support what you have been reading and studying. Lead them to Bible reading and Bible living. That's what we want. It does change minds. What did we read in verse 18? As we change, we transform from one level to another level. can't be done without the preachers preaching the truth Pastor's main duty is to teach the truth of the Bible with relevance, with excitement, with with compelling, powerful preaching, making an impact on them. But it's all about truth. All the other stuff is fluff. We need nothing but this. I'm thankful that that's what you guys buy. That is what you're after, isn't it? That's what we're about. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for your great glorious gospel, the truth. Lord, there's so much happening around us today, politically, also spiritually. Very cunning, very crafty. The enemy uses so many ways to lure people into the trap. It's nothing about the, except but the Word of God. That will get us the truth. That's why we spend all of our time preaching this. Lord, help us to be discerning because we want to be able to live the truth so that we can present that truth as Paul did here. In Jesus' name, amen.